And with all that other news going on as far as changes and so on, there's, there's some other news that I need to tell you about. And that is that um, Pastor Bob and Julie are also going to be making a move. I'm going to move from my office there over to there. And Julie's going to move from pre-K over there to pre-K over there, way over there. And she's going to need some help with that. They're turning their schedule around, and she's going to need more teachers in the first hour because we will have an education hour, and then we will have church all together in one service. And so there's going to be a need for teachers and helpers in that first hour before the worship service. And then there's going to need to be the opportunity to rotate for nursery and pre-K workers during the single worship service. So that'll be something we haven't had to do in a while. So you can imagine the more people on those teams as well, then the more they, they share the work together rather than falling on a few people who are missing a lot of our combined worship time together then. So be thinking about those. The other thing I want to be sure you know about is on the 24th, uh, we're having a Chapman Building Closing Ceremony. Uh, we're going to be giving thanks for all that God has done over the years in that ministry space that was also sacrificially and with a lot of hard work and toil. You know, people rolled up their sleeves, they got out their wheelbarrows and their buckets, and they went under the existing church and they dug out a new basement. I was just telling this story in our membership class. And after they had dug out and formed a basement over the 1894 clapboard church, then they tore that church down and they built a new building while they worshipped in the basement. Well, we considered the digging under, but Prairie was right there. But there's still going to be a lot of work. But one of the things we're giving thanks for is a generation before us that rolled up their sleeves and did the work and did what was needed for the kind of ministry that would continue there for so many years. And uh, we want to celebrate that. There, there, there were weddings and baptisms held in the church um, sanctuary there that is now the room we call the gym, and there's a lot of stories from youth group that could be told down in the basement. There is Awana and Sunday school over the years, and teachers that faithfully served and are no longer with us, but you remember them. And uh, we would love to hear and celebrate and give thanks for much of those stories together. So March 24th at 4 p.m., I look forward to that and hope you are as well. Well, last week I titled my, my, my message in Colossians uh, 21 through 20, let's see, 7 I think it was. I titled it Finishing Well. But the only problem was I didn't finish the message. Because there's a third move in those, there's three sections that go together and the first one was that we finish well by not being drawn away from our true hope, not getting distracted, not being pulled to the side. Oh, and I forgot. Hell, hold the kids, kids, kids are going away. You know, I forgot my kids' talk. Oh, that's too bad. And it was good. I'll share with you. Yeah, the kids are going, and they're having their first um, kids' choir. Uh, practice for the spring, that they're going to be singing at Easter a song. They're going to sing our, our first Sunday at Prairie, and they might be doing a song at that Chapman closing ceremony as well. So sorry about the kids' talk, but I'll share it with the old people. All right. 
The first move of that, of those three parts, the first move of that was don't be drawn away from your true hope. Don't be distracted. Next is follow Jesus in his afflictions, in his suffering. That we will, as Paul says, fill up in our own body, in our own selves, in our own lives, that which is still needed in the Christ kind of afflictions, hardships, sufferings, hard work that is needed for his body, the church. There's stuff still needed to be done that follows Jesus' pattern of suffering for the sake of the church. And so we will join into that. If we're going to finish well, it's going to be not drawn away. It's going to be following Jesus even in hardship. And we move to the third part of that. Everyone in his ministry together. As we look at Colossians 1, verses 28 and 29 today, this has been our memory verse. I've asked you to, to go over this verse, memorize it. It's been at the bottom of your notes for the last couple of weeks. So I would like us actually to, to stand together and let's do Awana for a moment. Let's, let's recite. If you've been here the last couple of weeks, I, I see some new faces and, and you're not going to get graded on this at all. But for the rest of us, Let's try as best we can. If you've got to cheat and peek at the, at the verse, that's good. Let's read it together. But recite to the extent you can. I hope I don't confuse you. I memorized it in a different version, but here we go together. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, which powerfully works within me. Oh, well done. Well done. Take your seats. Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Pastor Ryan, I think, he, he, he reminded you of that earlier, didn't he? Gave you, gave you a quick review to prepare yourself. Well, in, the, in those verses, those two verses... There, there are three things. There's our privilege, there's the pattern, and there's God's power. This is a privilege that God gives to us. There's a pattern that he gives us. How will we do this? What is the pattern to follow if we want to finish well, if we want to help somebody to finish well? And how will we pull that off? How can we do it? And the answer is by God's power. So first of all, let me jump right in. Let's look at the privilege and let's give thanks. Father, as we consider the reality that we get to proclaim, we get to tell, we get to make known Jesus. Father, thank you for that. Thank you that you first have shown us Jesus. That you have shown us his glory in your word. You have shown us his glory in this unfolding story of redemption. You have shown us who he is even in this very chapter, a few verses before. Father, thank you for introducing us to Jesus our Savior. Now, Lord, instruct us out of your word. Lord, warn us and teach us that we might take a next step in how we follow you even in the hard things, leaning on your power. Father, speak to us from your word this morning. Press it upon us. Lord, convict us where it's needed. Lord, that we might not just hear and move on, but we would be changed because your spirit has moved us to respond to what you tell us to do. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.
our privilege. Him we proclaim, you have got a story to tell. One of the things that, that jumps right out at us initially, you might read over because you're, you're used to your Bible not reading quite the way that people talk anyway. And so maybe this misses you, but there's something important, there's something emphatic going on in that initial statement. Him we proclaim, make known. And that is that the object of the verb proclaim, proclaim is the verb, that's the action, and the object of that, what do we proclaim? We proclaim him. We would normally say, we proclaim him. That'd be the proper way to say that in English. That would be the proper way to say that in Greek. Subject, verb, object. But in the Greek language, in written Greek, if you wanted to emphasize something, they didn't in ancient Greek manuscripts use bold font or italics. They didn't have italics yet. Instead, what they did is they would change the word order. If you want to draw special attention to the object of the verb, you would move it first in the sentence where nobody would be expecting to find it. And that tells you, oh, that's important because it comes first. So the emphasis here is him, the one who is preeminent, the one who is above all else, the one who was before any of creation, the one who stands over it all, the one who holds it all together, he is the one whom we make known. Jesus is our focus. Our focus at this church then, our focus as we follow what Paul says here in Colossians 1, our focus is not going to be politics. Our focus is not going to be the general morality of the society around us. Our focus is not going to be pursuing justice or world peace. We are waiting for the Prince of Peace. And, and our, our understanding from God's Word is the world will not have peace until they find it in Him. We are not going to get tied up in those things because we are going to make him known. I'm reminded of the example, and it's easy for a church to get entangled in a lot of other things that will take our energy, that will distract us from our primary mission, which to one another and to others is to make Jesus known. I'm reminded of the story of Josiah. Josiah was probably the last good king in Israel, in the southern kingdom before they're carried away into Babylonian exile. They had Hezekiah, and Hezekiah is a, is a spiritual breath of fresh air, and he brings reforms across the nations. They get rid of idols, and they turn their hearts again toward the Lord, but it didn't last. But then Josiah comes along, and Josiah's young. He's way too young to be king. What does he know? But God uses him. And God strengthens him. And God leads him. And they, they uncover God's, God's word again. And, and it's used and followed and heeded and listened to and practiced. And, and it's a good time. But along the way, there's world geopolitics going on around them. And the Babylonians are starting to rise up. And they're taking on the Assyrians who have been the status quo. And there's this battle that's forming where the Egyptians are going to come up and they're going, to, they're going to join with Assyria in fighting against these Babylonian upstarts. And Josiah gets into the world political fray. And he's thinking the Assyrians have been bad to us. They're the ones that surrounded Jerusalem when Hezekiah was king. The Assyrians are the ones who destroyed the northern tribes. And carried them away into exile. And so Josiah is far more worried about Assyria than he is about Babylon. And so he seeks to get into the mix and to prevent the Egyptians from going up and to help the Assyrians. 
That's a lot of history. But the point of it is, even Pharaoh himself rebukes Josiah. Why are you, my battle is not with you. Why are you getting in the way where God has not called you? And Josiah loses his life in that battle. In futility, for nothing. He loses his life in a battle that was not his to fight. He was to lead the people of Israel and Judah. He was to lead them in faithfully following their God so that the nations around them, whether they be Babylon or Assyria or Egypt, could look in and see God's blessing. And when the people would trust themselves to the Lord, none of these powers could touch them. That had recently with Hezekiah and the armies surrounding Jerusalem, that had been clearly demonstrated. But Josiah gets involved where he is not called. And he loses his life. And his people lose a bright light who was leading them to follow the Lord and giving them a testimony. We don't get involved in politics or justice or world peace or morality. There are many good causes. But the most important thing anybody around us needs to know, the most important thing we need for eternity is Jesus. The one whom we need to know and grow in in following is Jesus. He is whom we are going to proclaim. We are going to do this despite what others are focused on. Him, despite the others, that's the other side of this emphasis. He is going to be our focus no matter what other people's focus is on. In the first century church, it's a very pluralistic culture. It's a very multi-faith culture. And yet the first century church did not spend a lot of time talking down Zeus or Asclepius, whom people would go to for healing, or Diana of the Ephesians, or even Caesar and Rome. The early church church. In fact, Paul does a marvelous thing in Romans 13. He's confronting Caesar and what is the proper role of human government, but he does it in such a way that he doesn't rail against Rome and get Rome's undue attention. The church had a testimony to Rome in the first century. They didn't pick fights that were not their battle to win. Rather than talking down Zeus or Asclepius, Diana or Caesar, the first century church lifted Jesus up and everybody heard of him. These are the ones who proclaimed this Jesus everywhere and turned the world upside down with their message. That would be true for us as well. I remember a church in Spokane that I was a part of early in, early in life, even before Julie and I were married, and the, uh, the, the pastor who had founded that church was leaving, and he's, and he's giving a farewell word, kind of Acts 20, Paul to the Ephesian elders, to this church. And he's giving them this, these, these final warnings and admonitions, and, he, and he, one of the things he says to them, one of the things that stuck out to me that he included in that message was many of these folks in that church had had a Roman Catholic background before coming to believe in Jesus for themselves as their own Savior. No longer trusting in a church, an organization, and a membership, but trusting in Jesus, the one who died for them. And they had family still with various religious backgrounds. And one of the ways he put it, he says, folks, don't tear Mary down, lift Jesus up. Now, in our neighborhood, that might look a little different. We might say something like, don't tear Joseph Smith or Brigham Young down. Lift Jesus up for who he truly is, who he really is. We have families from here in the Middle East, and, and certainly they have to live by this rubric. Don't tear Muhammad down. Lift Jesus up. 
He's the one they need to hear of. He's the one they need to know. You can spend a lot of, you can spend a lot of time deconstructing something else and yet never introduce them to Jesus. He, we, will make known. And the we is actually also emphatic. It's doubled. And I won't go into the Greek grammar other than to say is Paul is again being emphatic that this is not merely Paul's. This is something we have been given. This is our privilege. This is not merely the work of pastors and apostles. We make Jesus known. Now you might think him, in fact, the version I originally learned this in it said, him we preach. And the problem with that is it let most of you off the hook. You can say, I don't preach to people. Pastors preach to people. So that's a pastor's thing. That's, a, that's an apostle thing. And the word is actually proclaim. It's to, it means to talk about, most generally. It was used a lot with Paul's discussions and kind of a discussion teaching he did in the synagogues, a word to share. But it was also used very informally. It's the word that was used when Paul mentions how these Christians how their, the reality of their faith and their changed lives, how that is being talked about, how that is being gossiped up and down the grapevine all across the Roman world. As their faith is being, quote, proclaimed across the whole empire, it's one person to another, and that's the same proclaiming you have all been given to do. This is our privilege, him not he preaches, but him we proclaim. That's the charge to us here. You are called to share his story. You are to tell his story in your life. Let me give you an example. Our daughter Ruth married this wonderful man in Zimbabwe. And after the wedding, and we were there, and it was wonderful. And uh, about a year later or so, they were coming here to visit. And it was their first flight as a couple, and they make the arrangement, and it's a long way to go. And they get on the flight, and they're just, they're, they're poor missionary kids. They don't have any resources, and they barely, they scrabbled together. They had these, these tickets, and here they come, and they get upgraded to business class. You know, from crammed in coach with your knees against the lunch table, and then you get upgraded because there's an extra seat up there, or two, in business class with the lie flat beds. And they couldn't wait to tell us about this wonderful blessing that had changed their lives for 12 hours. God has changed your lives forever. And that's the reason we have something to tell to others. You know, on that flight, imagine if they had sat next to, in business class, some world-class celebrity. Whether they even liked or agreed with the person or not, but we sat right next to, and they'd be talking about it, right? Well, sure, wouldn't you? Yeah, I met so-and-so, and it was a really interesting conversation. I mean, I didn't agree with half they said, but wow, I got to talk to whoever it was. You are seated in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. You have got the best seat forever with he who is preeminent above all, Jesus over everything, and he's got you with him. 
you have got a story to tell. It's just in the midst of all the stuff of life, we lose sight of it. And that's why he says, if, if we're going to exercise our privilege to tell his story, to make him known, there's a pattern to follow that's going to strengthen all of us in doing so. And the pattern is the second half of verse 28. Him we proclaim by warning everyone and teaching everyone. We, the pattern we're giving is warning and teaching because we are not finished yet. You've got a story to tell, and we're not finished yet, so we are going to warn or admonish everyone. And the everyone is singular. It's not, we're going to warn everyone altogether. It's, we're going to warn every individual. There's going to be, in God's family, no child left behind. We are going to look after each one. There's a, there's a, a literal, uh, there's, there's an accountability. I wanted the warning, admonishing here. I wanted that to be evangelism. I wanted, oh, this, this verse would be perfect. If, if we were warning everyone, we were telling everyone about their need for Jesus as Savior, and then for those who believe, then we are teaching them and growing them up in Christ. We've got evangelism and discipleship all together in one package. It's going to be great. It's just not what the verse says. The warning here is nutheteo. It's, it's used in nuthetic counseling, which is a, a version of counseling that says, well, yeah, my friend, this is what the word says. And so how does what the word says um, relate to what you're choosing to do in life right now? It's an admonishing counsel. But it's a, it's a counsel that's for a believer, Somebody who believes this is God's word. This is the word of God. This word is typically used in the warning, the guiding, the, the calling along further one believer to another. We would think of it as a discipling word. It is a word that might confront what you're doing and say, my brother, this is not good. This is what God's word says. You need to realign your priorities according to God's purposes here. You need to make some adjustments and some changes if you want to, to really enjoy and prosper in fellowship and relationship with the Lord. You know, I saw, I had the, had the wonderful privilege to go to, a, go to an AA group on Tuesday night. Uh, somebody was getting their, their uh, it, it was their one year birthday. A year of sobriety, and, and which is a, now they are going to be looked to as well. One of the last steps of you have been made the appropriate progress through your own recovery is that you're now ready to give yourself for somebody else to help them in that same journey. And it was a wonderful celebration. And what I heard there, and what I saw, what I saw demonstrated and reminded, I saw admonishing going on. And one of the things that was, was stated several times, it became very clear, and I was, I was reminded of the Christian roots, that this whole movement, which may I say, easily spreads like wildfire through a society and changes and rescues lives, it was founded under a Christian discipling model. And it, and it oozes out of their, their, their traditions and the practices and the steps. It's there. And this is a particular group that they're, they're, a lot of them are very open about their understanding of higher power is God. Their understanding of higher power is Jesus Christ who redeems and changes lives. It was a wonderful, encouraging experience. But one of the things that was said multiple times was, if you are not ready to be honest, you're not going to make it. 
They take this real seriously. I heard, heard several of the men talk about how people are dying out there. What we're doing here matters because people are dying. And they said, if you're not ready to be honest with yourself, if you're not ready to be honest with God, if you're not ready to be honest with your brother or your sister, you're not going to make it. I thought, man, that's the model for a D-group success. I mean, you can get together four people and call it a D-group. But if you're not ready together to be honest with yourself, to be honest with God, to be honest with one another, you, are, you might have a good time together, but you're not going to be growing together. You're not going to be going deeper together. You're not ready. I thought, man, I was, I was really encouraged. But when we will, look what God will do. He will change lives. Each one, everyone, all of God's truth is for all of his people, and it is a matter of life-on-life relationship discipleship. Each one to be warned and taught. There is a need for personal ministry. There is a need for connection in small groups and D groups. We have got to do it. We warn and admonish each one. We're willing to take the risk to tell people how things really are. And we're also teaching. If, if admonishing is somewhat a little confrontive and corrective, then teaching is, is think of it as additive. It's giving something more. It's, it's giving new truth, expanded wisdom, creating understanding, uh, enlarging someone's vision of God's future and God's purposes. All that's rolled into teaching. Teaching is the food for believing. You cannot believe what you do not know and aren't beginning to understand. Teaching is the food for faith. Teaching is how, where, what our faith grows from. The implication is spiritual growth takes both admonition and teaching. You've heard me say before that the, the moral imperatives of Scripture are always founded upon, they always stand on gospel indicatives. The imperatives that we are commanded to do always stand on, they are based upon gospel truth that is already true for us in Christ. Imperatives or commands always stand on gospel indicatives, gospel truth. Teaching one another is imparting that gospel truth. If we admonish without teaching and understanding, we are calling for action without any foundation upon which to stand it up. So, admonishing everyone and teaching everyone. That's why we're a teaching church. That's why we give time to God's Word together as a congregation. That's why we're, we're, we're invested in things like our BP Academy classes. There's Bible studies through the week. There's opportunity to grow with others in a small group, in a discipleship group. There are individual conversations. There's life-on-life -life discipling and teaching and admonishing going on. And it's for this purpose. There's a purpose statement at the, at the end of verse 28. The purpose is in order to present each one mature, or the word is perfect. Now, perfect you have a little trouble with. Perfect has the idea of there's absolutely nothing wrong with you. Is anybody here perfect? Oh, we got a lot of work to do, right? Perfect has the idea here. This word has the idea of nothing lacking. Everything's been done that was needed. It's the word 
Another form of the same word is used when Jesus on the cross cries out, It is finished. Yeah. He did everything that was needed. He saw it all the way through to God's intended end. It's a reaching the goal word. It's a reaching God's intended finish word. You and I, we are in God's finishing school. Not a school where you work on the polish of the hour. No, God looks upon the heart. And God is transforming hearts in his finishing school. He he does that through admonishing and teaching so that each of us would be presented into his presence with God's finishing work done. That's what God's doing. He's using you to change someone's life. The man whose year we celebrated, he would not have made it without his sponsor, without somebody mentoring and discipling him along a very difficult path. And he's going to turn around and do the same thing for others. And they will not make it if he does not do it. I want to ask two questions. Who's teaching you? Who's mentoring you? Who admonishes you? Who cares enough to tell you that you're playing around with fire and you're going to get burned? Who is willing to admonish you? You need that person in your life. The other question I want to ask is, who are you admonishing? Who are you teaching? Whose life are you building into? Who are you walking alongside of so that they can go forward, that they can grow, that they too can reach God's intended end? Because that's our privilege. This is the pattern he has given us, that God has chosen to use us in the finishing, the perfecting, the maturing of others into what? What does it look like? It looks like Jesus, that we, according to Romans 8, 29, are being conformed into the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren, that we are to grow together into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We are to resemble Jesus. That's what the fruit of the Spirit looks like. The fruit of the Spirit is to be seen in our lives by the working of the Spirit within us. That's maturity. That's what it looks like. The fruit of the Spirit is also a description of Jesus. And it's a description of what a Christian looks like who knows and is growing in Jesus. Another example, what is this maturity? What does this finished look like? Have you heard of that chapter 3 in 1 Timothy that describes qualifications of elders and deacons? Ladies, let me give you a glimpse into Rock Tumbler last year. One of the things we did, one of the sessions we did, we talked about those qualifications for elders. But not merely as a list, hey guys, you can use this as a checklist to critique your elders. No. Use this as a checklist of the way toward maturity. Because the elders are simply those mature men of God who God has grown, God is doing his finishing work in their lives, and they're now at the stage where they're no longer children, they're not young men in John's terms, but now they are fathers able to parent and lead others also in growth toward maturity. And so this is a list that describes them, so this is a list that you're growing to. This is what maturity looks like. One more example. Let me read from this one. 2 Peter chapter 1. 
Sinclair Ferguson, in his, in his book, Devoted to God, opens with these verses. This is what growth in Christ looks like. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith, add to your faith virtue, and to your virtue knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and add to your self-control steadfastness, and with the steadfastness godliness, and with the godliness brotherly affection, and with the brotherly affection sacrificial love. For if these qualities are yours, if these characteristics are yours and are increasing, you are growing in them, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you here this morning who know the Lord Jesus Christ have as your goal to be ineffective and unfruitful. Show of hands, please. Is that your goal? Ineffective, unfruitful. No, that's not our goal. Our, our goal is to be finished. Our goal is to grow. There's a warning there. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed for his former sins. You see, this is a warning to Christians who fail to thrive. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you, here comes the presentation, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Presentation day is coming, celebration day is coming, and it will not be merely a one-year coin. Although what an achievement that was as far as changed life and steadfastness in following. There's a presentation day coming and Paul's goal for these, many of whom he's never met, but to motivate them together as an army in Colossae, one for another, to be admonishing and teaching to present each one mature. Where do you intend to be? Where would you aspire to be? Where do you need to be more like Jesus? It's a good question, isn't it? You looked in the mirror this morning, right out of bed, you looked in the mirror this morning on the way maybe to the bathroom. I know that's a dangerous thing to do. Depression can so easily set in. You looked in the mirror this morning, you said, oh my goodness, there's a lot of work to do. I know that you did that because you came to church not looking quite like you looked like when you got out of bed this morning. Okay. There's a lot of work to do. That's the reality for us spiritually. There is work to done to do. Where do I need to grow? I think of a child. When they're, when they're crawling, they're already trying to walk, aren't they? And they're just waiting to the day that they can run away from mom and get into something that they can't get away with yet. When they're crawling, they're already pulling themselves up. They're going to get there. And when they're young and little, they want to run as fast as the older kids, don't they? They want to be, when they're five, they can't wait to be eight. And when they're eight, they can't wait to be 15. They have no idea yet how miserable middle school is. When they're, when they're 15, they can't wait to get their driver's license. 
And when they're 17, they can't wait to be old enough to say, but I'm an adult now. Maybe, maybe they will be. It's not guaranteed, is it? Adult maturity is not a matter of time spent. But there's something about that natural within us wanting to grow. Where do you, like that child, long to grow? Where do you need accountability to get there? How can you help someone else take those next steps? Are you willing to roll up your sleeves and dig in? Because that's what it takes. He describes in the next, in the next verse what it's going to take to follow this pattern. He, said, he says we're going to work hard for this, for presentation day, in the anticipation of standing together before the Lord. For this I labor, I toil. It's a hard work, roll up the sleeves kind of word. It's a jump in and I'm going to get my hands dirty. It's the perfumer or the goldsmith who's going to apply himself to the wall. And I've seen a part of Nehemiah's wall that was built in that day in the area where some of those less skilled non, non um, um, masons were working. And it's a, it's a messy part of the wall. It's not a pretty part of the wall, but it's still standing. That's amazing. It's still standing over 2,500 years later. What God uses you to do in the life of another will last into eternity. This is a good work. This is a forever work. Like they said in that AA meeting, we've got to do this because people are dying out there. And we're looking toward presentation day. To this I will labor. It's going to be hard work, but be very careful. We are laboring according to God's working in us. We are not going to do this by our own strength. We will not be able to do this by our own strength. We are called to work hard. There's a work day coming up. We don't call March 16th a play day. This is a work day. We don't call it donut day. There might be donuts. It's a pity I have to mention that to help you to come, but there might be donuts. But it's not donut day, it's work day. We're going to roll up our sleeves and there's going to be work involved. Whether it's move teams or check-in or welcome team, good work is hard work and yet we are not in it alone. Our struggling is by means of God working in us by His power. That's the thing I don't want you to miss striving the word is agonizing it's a hard work word we agonize we strive according to his energy that he powerfully works within me that powerfully work it's a dynamite word it's the same word we get dynamite or think of a hydroelectricity generation think of the dynamo this is a a power that produces a power that has effect a power that moves and changes things as a result and the spirit of god working within you is a power that will change you will work in you what you do not have the strength and the energy to work on your own It is not, I do what I can do, and I trust God for what I can't do. No. It is, I do by God's doing. 
I do this by God's working in me. The Spirit of the living God is in each one who believes in Jesus as their own Savior. Not merely to secure us for salvation, but the Spirit of God indwells us and empowers us and gives us strength that we don't have. I love the way that Paul says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He's describing himself, and perhaps you can identify with his statement. Paul says, I'm the least of the apostles. I am unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Paul looks back at his background and he says, I'm not worthy of this privilege. And you could look back over your background. You could say, I'm not worthy for this. I have not measures up, measured up. Certainly I have disqualified myself. But please read on. I'm not worthy to be called an apostle, he says in verse 9, because I persecute the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, he has given me this ministry. By the grace of God, not my worthiness, he has given me a ministry with others. By the grace of God, he fully intends to use you to admonish and to teach others. He fully intends to use others to admonish and to teach you. He fully intends by his power working in his body, the church, to finish the good work that he has begun in you. It is by his grace. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And, and guess what? His grace toward me was not for nothing. His grace toward me was not in vain. His grace toward me was not without any effect. No, it's dynamite grace. It's powerful grace. God working in us by his spirit. God will do more than we could ask or even imagine by his spirit who is at work in you. On the contrary, he says, I worked harder than any of them. He's not knocking Peter or John or James or anyone. He said, I worked harder than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. God will work in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. So it's not a matter of, but I can't do it. No, 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 you can't do it, but that's all right. He can and he will in you and through you. So, him we proclaim because you've got a story to tell. We will warn and teach those around us because we are not finished yet. We will toil by God's working in us. By God's grace, everybody has a job. There's a sign-up list in the foyer. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you, Father, that you saved us in Jesus. It is nothing of ourselves. That we are accepted into your sight. We are received as your own because Jesus died for our guilt and our shame. And there's nothing left then to separate us from you if we will trust his death in our place. His sacrifice for our salvation. Father, we thank you for that. And Lord, we, we do desire to live and to grow in this salvation. 
We desire like the crawling infant to walk. We desire like the toddler to run. We desire to learn not only for our own sake, but what we could then pass on to others. We desire to be finished. We desire to be finishing, bringing others along with us into your presence. And Father, as we look to that day where we will say, it is all of your doing, God. It is all of your grace. Father, we want to experience that grace in our working by your power. So Lord, do your work in us, even in making me willing. Lord, your word says that you are at work in us both to will and to do. Father, first make us willing. And then show us what you'll do. We ask it in Jesus' name. And all who agree said, Amen.